0: From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois' state government and politics. My client's individual rights to bear arms are no different than a man or a woman that happens to work in the
1: prison system or works in armed forces.
2: Why do you and your colleagues think that banning assault-style weapons and, and large magazines that hold more than 10 bullets is wrong for
1: Illinois?
0: Well, for one thing, we think it's a violation of the Second Amendment, maybe the Fourth Amendment, uh, because you're taking people's property uh, away from them and uh, so you have the legal search and seizure. So we have filed a lawsuit
1: uh, in the Southern District of Illinois. We're not taking anybody's guns away. By the way, no guns are being confiscated under this law. We are stopping the sale uh, and uh, you know, future acquisition of these kinds of weapons. That's Governor J.B. Pritzker. Before that, Richard Pearson of the Illinois State Rifle Association and attorney Tom DeVore. Lawsuits have now been filed in both state and federal courts over the assault weapons ban. And also this week, Governor J.B. Pritzker in Europe for the World Economic Forum will discuss that as well on State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield, and our panel includes Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus and former Director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie's also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. And joining us today, good to have her back, Hannah Meisel, Statehouse reporter now with Capitol News Illinois. And Hannah, always good to hear from you.
2: Thanks, Sean. I'm really glad to be back.
1: They ban on semi-automatic weapons that was passed earlier this month in the state legislature. It only took a matter of days for these court cases to be filed. We knew that was coming. Uh, now, as I mentioned, in state and also in federal court, there are separate lawsuits here. Uh, break those down for us. Who's behind them and what are they uh, What are they arguing in this case?
2: Right. Like you said, Sean, this was obviously expected, uh, you know, to a point where Senate President Don Harmon, who had sponsored the measure in the Senate, I think his Closing line uh, in, during floor debate uh, during the lame duck session was see you in court. <laughs> so far in state court, at least by my count and the count of many of my colleagues, there are two cases. Uh, one was filed by a uh, failed attorney general candidate, Tom DeVore. Uh, that's in Effingham County. And I guess we're supposed to hear a ruling on that later today. We're, uh, you know, taping here on Friday morning. And then the other one, it was filed in Crawford County, which is a little bit east of Effingham County, right on the Indiana border. Uh, that was filed on behalf of three gun owners. Um, and When I had called the attorney the other day to just ask him a little bit about, you know, why this venue, why not, um, you know, file in federal court? Because we know that the, the the suit filed in federal court is probably the one that has a lot more legs. You know, he it sounded like he was just, doing his due diligence. uh, He told me that one of the uh, plaintiffs was a longtime uh, client of his. And so all of the lawsuits contain a little bit different uh, legal arguments. You know, for example, the one in Crawford County really focused on a lot of the bulk of the suit uh, was like, you know, this is impractical. A lot of the, you know, the weapons that are listed in law classified as assault weapons um, you know, the high capacity or, you know, high capacity magazines are already kind of built in. That's the default on these guns. So it's impractical to say, you know, uh, 15 uh, round maximum on long guns, 10 round maximum on uh, handguns, as is, you know, laid out in the, the assault weapons ban. The federal lawsuit uh, that filed this week from the Illinois State Rifle Association on behalf of a uh, you know a handful of plaintiffs including some other firearm rights groups some uh, gun dealers and some gun owners uh, that's the one that we will probably see uh, have a lot more legs you know all of these lawsuits uh depend though on last year's u.s supreme court ruling in the new york uh concealed carry you know licensing case that you know no, no matter the details of the new york the effectiveness uh from the opinion authored by Clarence Thomas, is that it, you know, far expands the definition of the Second Amendment and directs lower courts to, you know, kind of revisit uh, gun regulations and say, you know, if these gun regulations weren't true to what we had at the founding of the nation, then, you know, strike them down.
1: Yeah, Charlie, would you agree that the the federal case is the one to watch here, the federal lawsuit that's been filed?
0: Yeah, I would think that would be the most important one because some of these, the state cases, I forget which one, but they the plaintiffs made the argument that, well, the legislature didn't follow the rules in passing this legislation because it wasn't read, uh, the, the text of the law was not read on three separate days. Well, in fact, what the state constitution says is that the title of the bill has to be read on three separate days and that of course was met because i if i'm not mistaken the the underlying bill number was introduced oh what well, more than a year ago and so some of these technical issues that were raised i think aren't going to get anywhere i'm guessing that there was a little bit of forum shopping going on in terms of where these these Suits were filed, doing it down in southern Illinois, southeastern Illinois, which tends to be more conservative, say, than were you to file a suit in uh, DuPage County? But I think, as Hannah said, the federal one is the one to watch because that's the one that more directly alleges the provisions of this law, as Hannah said, don't reflect what appears to be the opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court on what is legal and and what is not or what what is allowed uh the the federal lawsuit argues for example that the guns and magazines that are being banned can't be considered unusual or dangerous which appears to be the the legal distinction that would allow them to get around the second amendment because these are very common firearms these are ones that the majority of people who own firearms uh would run a follow these rules, so you can't say that they're uncommon. The the one element of this law that I think may have the best chance of surviving is the provision that outlaws so-called, I believe they're called switches, devices that you can add to any firearm that enable the firearm to become the equivalent of a machine gun. And because the the law is written with a provision called a severability clause, which says that if any portion of this law is thrown out, the rest of the law can stand, I can see a situation in which a judge would say, "Well, you can't ban these guns and magazines because they're very popular. They're not unusual. They're not uncommon. People have them." But on the other hand, switches are a device. Uh, that falls outside that definition. And so we're going to throw out the ban on the common, the firearms that many, many people have. But we are going to say that these switches are unusual or dangerous because they allow regular guns to be turned into machine guns. And so that portion of the law, in my mind, has a better chance of standing than the rest of it.
2: You know, I'd also like to mention that, you know, Illinois is the ninth state to uh, implement some sort of assault weapons ban. They're all slightly different in all of the cases. But, um, <clears throat> you know, because of this New York ruling last year from the U.S. Supreme Court, um, the ones that were already kind of making their way through the court system, they have, you know, a, a radically different uh, kind of trajectory. Uh, the ones that have already been looked at by federal courts and said, you know, yes, this is fine. Uh, people are going to try to, um, you know, take them to court again. But it's definitely kind of bragging rights. If the Illinois State Rifle Association, uh, if, you know, this federal lawsuit, or, you know, maybe we'll see another federal lawsuit that um, goes further, or maybe they'll be combined, we don't know. But, you um, If the Illinois suit is the one that goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, that's also bragging rights for, you know, the Illinois-based gun advocates. Uh, They can always say that they were the ones who brought down, you know, gun regulations everywhere. If the U.S. Supreme Court does take this up in a year or two or, you know, however long it takes to make it through the court system, um, and then that could have an effect on the whole country. And like I said, uh, they, they would love for Illinois law to be the one that brings it all kind of crashing down.
1: Yeah, Charlie. That right now, I mean, this law, well, it's been signed, and uh, you know, people are are starting to tout that it. You know, the supporters touting that it's uh, in a, in effect, really. Uh, it's the, the, the main thing that it's done is it's taken these guns away from gun stores, being able to sell them. And if you were somebody looking to buy one, you might have a harder time doing so. But for people who already own one, there's always there has been that concern among them that the government's going to come and get our guns. Now, the governor at the beginning of the show said, that's not the case. That's not what we're doing. But actually, they do want them to register those guns. And I would assume if people don't register uh, eventually here that, yeah, they could be confiscated. Uh, your thoughts on that, basically, what, what, the, what the long-term uh, reach of this law could be?
0: Well, I think, as, as you suggested, Sean, there's an awful lot of misinformation, the notion that um, they're going to come and take my guns. But the Second Amendment supporters, or in my judgment, people who are really the zealots on the issue argue that any kind of regulation whatsoever is the proverbial camel with its nose under the tent, and ultimately it will lead to the guns being confiscated by some totalitarian government that wants to uh, enslave American citizens. No, I don't think that's gonna happen. If you think about it, there are other things that you own that you do have to register. I'm assuming that, Sean, that you, and Hannah, and all of our listeners who drive actually have license plates on their vehicles. And to do that, you have to register your car as an example of registration that goes on. And so nobody's going to come and take your car because your car is a dangerous uh, implement that could hurt someone in an accident. So this notion that they're going to come for the guns, I don't think that's going to happen. And the The sheriffs and I think it's something like more than 80 out of the 102 sheriffs have said well we're not going to enforce this law we're not going to go. door to door looking to see if your guns are registered that's not what the law provides and no, the sheriff's aren't going to do that, and as a matter of fact that portion of the law doesn't even take effect Or, or. individuals owning these guns now have until next January, so what? At this point, it's more than 11 months to register. And if they don't, nobody's gonna come by and take their gun. And it's a lot of fear-mongering. And it's interesting to me, and I've said this before, some of these very same sheriffs who were bemoaning the fact that when the Pre-Trial Fairness Act took effect, these part of the safety act that was enacted what a couple years ago when it takes effect on January 1st well we're going to have to open up the the doors of the jail to let everybody out because that's what the law says and so they were very willing to apparently follow their erroneous interpretation of that particular law but this law that that hasn't even taken effect yet they're saying oh no we're not going to enforce it because we don't think it's constitutional yeah, and yeah. at the risk of sounding pedantic i would point out that there are three branches of government there's the legislative branch which makes the laws there is the executive branch which carries them out including county sheriffs and then there's the judicial branch that says whether or not these particular laws are constitutional and it strikes me that none of the county sheriffs i don't believe uh who are taking this stance i don't believe any of them also are are judges i could be mistaken but I, I don't think they're judges so in my mind there's a dereliction of their duty for them not to be willing to enforce the law whatever it may be at the point when it takes effect
1: yeah hannah that's a that's a point too i think is worth getting back to is uh, the sheriffs who, and, and you've written about this, who have said that uh, they won't uh, help enforce this law, they find it to be unconstitutional. We, we really, or at least I haven't seen a whole lot from lawmakers other than saying, oh, yes, they will. You know, I've heard that from the governor and others. Uh, yes, they will enforce it. That's their job. But I've heard nothing. Have you heard anything more regarding that, any type of discussions that might be taking place or any type of middle ground that people might reach? Or is that just not going to happen?
2: I don't know that there is a middle ground because it's kind of like Charlie said, it's such a theoretical argument. Like this is, I hate to use this word, but like there is really no other descriptor that I can think of because there is, like Charlie said, there's no part of the law that says that they would have to go house to house to, you know, look for unregistered assault weapons after January 1st, 2024. You know, a lot of, you know, these letters, a lot of them were identical And it seems like a lot of messaging and grandstanding on the part of the sheriff saying, like, we don't believe in this law. Of course, sheriffs are elected uh, officials. This, you know, for their more conservative constituents, this might engender them to them. In terms of any middle ground, no, not really. I mean, like we saw, I think it was this week, the 16, which is amazing in itself that there are 16 Democrats who represent DuPage County, the once you know, totally red GOP bastion of the suburbs. Uh, These uh, 16 Democratic uh, lawmakers that represent DuPage uh, wrote, you know, a joint letter and said, you know, this is unacceptable for you to say that you won't enforce the law. Um, By the way, I don't think it made it into my story, but it is technically a felony for a law enforcement officer to refuse to, um enforce a certain law then again you know i'm always thankful when i get pulled over and um you know a, law, a police officer lets me off with a warning instead of a ticket does that mean that they're not enforcing the law it is kind of a gray area but you know all that being said yes this this, this these letters were grandstanding there is no provision that would force them to go to go check to see if neighbor Bob actually has an assault weapon that he didn't register after January 1st.
1: And Charlie, before we move on, I'll let you weigh in on that. I mean, I know you're not an attorney, but as far as uh, uh, your thoughts on that, eventually I I would think that, yeah, you're going to be forced to uphold the law um, or you could face some other consequences.
0: Yeah. I, I assume the ultimate consequences would that you would be brought before some tribunal, Uh, on the grounds that you're not fulfilling your legal obligations as a law enforcement officer. But I don't see that happening. My guess is that ultimately, the sheriffs will do whatever is required of them. And if they don't agree with the law, there's other things that are more pressing for them to do than go door to door looking for unregistered guns. Where I see the difficulty might be is if you're driving with one of these weapons, and you're stopped for speeding or whatever, and the sheriff or well, local police for that matter see it, they may ask, is this registered? And if not, then you may face some consequences. Or if it's a sheriff who doesn't believe in in this particular law, he, the sheriff may just not notice the weapon sitting there. Because like Hannah said, there's a lot of discretion involved. If I were to have gotten a ticket an actual ticket every time that I would stop for a policeman for not no you say to be honest for speeding uh, I probably wouldn't have a driver's license now but they were
1: kind and they would give me a warning and I would go on my way We'll we'll continue to talk about this topic, I know, over the next several weeks and maybe months as well. But uh, let's save a little bit of time here to also discuss Governor J.B. Pritzker on a uh, foreign trip right now. He's at the uh, World Economic Forum. And, Hannah, what was the point of this? Why is the governor there?
2: I mean, your bigger question could be what is the point of uh, the World Economic Forum at Davos? Uh, It's been definitely in recent years made fun of in kind of elite circles, because it's like the most elite of elite. It's for billionaires to kind of go discuss their big ideas about how to make the world better. Of course, uh, lots of them flying in on their own private jets. Governor Pritzker was, I guess, invited. And, um, you know, it was his contention. He talked to reporters back home in a press call yesterday, and he called himself the best chief marketing Officer of the state of Illinois, um, you know this is a lot like um, other trips that uh, governors in the past have made. A lot of time, ty- you know, these these kind of forums have a lot of um, a lot of different sort of aims for the people who go. Uh, one to get your name out there. Two to you know kind of have conversations with people that you wouldn't necessarily be able to be in a room with at any other time. Kind of make those. Uh, connections, whether in an official way, you know, on behalf of the state of Illinois, um, or, you know, for folks who are maybe looking to climb the ladder in whatever sort of, you know, business or government or political uh, realm that they're in to make connections that could help further their uh, goals there. Anyway, um, the governor said that it was kind of a trade mission strip, but he's also kind of touting what Illinois is doing. I think we've talked on the show before about how uh, Illinois is often glossed over, especially in the national media. Um, We are, you know, we're still the fifth largest state. We overtook Pennsylvania once again um, for that title, but we're just not paid attention to Um, when it comes to discussing how you know blue states are doing progressive policies it's always new york and california and new york and california and tend to forget that there's a whole a huge state in the middle of the midwest doing you know basically the same things and so the governor was touting you know the recent wins including that assault weapons ban and you know further protections for abortion seekers and providers in illinois talking about ceja passed in 2021 so yeah, I mean, this is kind of a continuation of that. I, I don't know that we get a lot out of it, but it's definitely interesting to watch.
1: Now, Charlie, we were discussing a little bit before the show about uh, governors making these types of uh, uh, foreign trips. A lot of times they're trade missions. You've covered the fact that a lot of governors and looked up even when some of these governors went and where they went. Uh, we haven't really seen as much of that, it seems, in recent years, but there have been some.
0: Oh, yeah. And I think one of the things that uh, Governor Pritzker pointed out, and this ties in with what Panda was saying, he he said that were Illinois an independent country, we would have the 19th largest economy in the world. We would be a member of the G20. And so it's not like we're not a major player on the world stage because of our industry particularly because of our agriculture. I think there was a story just the other day saying that Illinois produced the most soybeans last year of any state in the union. And in terms of the travel, probably I would go back quite some time to point this out. And I, of course, did not make the trip, even though I was at some times at the time. Uh, Governor Jim Thompson, back in 1985, and roughly 150 supporters took off on the biggest trade mission by a US state to China since the communists took control in 1949. And he went there to establish a trade office. And he talked at the time that Illinois might set up a regional network of trade centers across China if this first one proves successful. And he talked about how some other governors didn't want to deal uh, with China or with foreign investors. And he said, we don't have that phobia in Illinois. And this is his quote from the story. My concern is not where the ultimate dollar of profit goes. It might go to London, might go to New York, might go to Los, Los Angeles, it might go to Toronto, it might go to Chicago. My concern is the employment of the people of Illinois in businesses, factories, warehouses, and service opportunities in the state of Illinois and at the time that uh, he left office we had oh gosh i want to say like maybe a dozen trade offices all around the, the world and now currently we only have maybe half a dozen but thompson was very big on that and he uh, in a story that ran just before he left he pointed out that he took it it, it took him nine trade trips to japan nine visits to finally get the diamond star motors located here so thompson was trying to point out it, it's worth making these visits because you talk to these people one of the better ones i thought was when george ryan this was back what it would have been 19 1999 i believe he became the first u.s governor to visit cuba since the revolution 40 years prior when Castro uh, took over the country. And Ryan originally talked about it as a trade mission, pointing out how convenient it would be for Cuba to get Illinois farm products down the Mississippi River to the port at New Orleans, ship them to Cuba, really easy. And somebody reminded him, uh, Governor, we really don't do trade with Cuba yet. So it was branded as a humanitarian mission. He had an hours-long meeting with Castro, although it was reported mostly that he listened as Castro droned on. And he went with with people who represented agribusiness, pharmaceuticals, medical firms that would benefit from an end to the embargo. And and so yeah, this is not a new thing, and it's an ongoing thing. And I think Pritzker made a side John into Germany. To, to visit a plant uh, that makes copper materials that are used in in electronics because they have a plant down in the Alton area. So as as Pritzker
1: said, you're a salesman for your state. All right, well let's go to our notes from the field and uh, Hannah, let's start with you.
2: Uh, I'm following this lawsuit that was filed in federal court um, accusing DCFS Keeping kids in uh, who are in juvenile detention centers, juvenile uh, jails, uh, too long. You know, this is kind of the mirror case of those uh, juveniles kept in uh, psychiatric hospitals too long because there are just not enough beds. The capacity within the DCFS system was severely, you know, cut during the budget impasse, and we just haven't recovered from it. You know, of course, the pandemic has a lot to do with it you know, if you ask the Pritzker administration, they say, you know, they're doing as much as they can to recover from the Rahner administration. But, you know, as the cliche goes, governor's own. And, um, you know, Pritzker has now been governor for four solid years. It's not easy, but it has to be done because kids cannot be languishing in psychiatric hospitals or in, you know, in juvenile jails beyond the time that they're supposed to be because that's a violation of their civil rights.
1: Okay,
0: and Charlie. Well, this this year, the Illinois National Guard is celebrating its 300th anniversary. And so if you're a listener, you're probably saying to yourself, wait a second, didn't we just do the 200th anniversary of the state, what, four or five years ago? How does this work? Is that a typo? Back in 1723, which was 300 years ago, in the village of Kaskaskia which was the, the leading, I guess you'd call it settlement in the Illinois ter- territory back then, the French Commandant drilled the first militia in the Illinois country. And that was back when Illinois was part of France. Uh, the, the British kicked France out by 1765. George Rogers Clark beat the Brits in 1778 and when Illinois first became a state Kaskaskia was its capital and an interesting thing about Kaskaskia here's it has nothing to do with the National Guard but it is the only village the only portion of Illinois that is west of the Mississippi River because because of uh, earthquakes and changing flow of the riverbed the neck of land that connected Kaskaskia the rest of illinois was severed by the end of the 19th century and so now kaskaskia which has a population of 17 according to the u.s census bureau is on the west side of the mississippi and if you want to get to kaskaskia by by road you have to go through missouri
1: Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of State Week. Our panel included Charlie Wheeler and Hannah Meisel of Capital News, Illinois. You can get a podcast of our show at nprillinois.org through the NPR One app or iTunes. Just look for State Week. I'm Sean Crawford and be with us again next time.
0: You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station, NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.